Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Well, good morning, Mike. Good morning. So the holidays are approaching. Did you buy your Christmas gifts yet? Oh, yeah, it's all done. In fact, they're all sitting in the port of uh, Los Angeles in a, <laughs> in a freighter. <laughs> oh, no. I, uh, before we talk about holidays, Pat and I actually are looking forward to the very next holiday, which is uh, the sun will be coming up an hour earlier. And it won't be so pitch black here when yeah, we do right. these things. <laughs> that's right. But anyway, that's keep right. going. Yes. So I'm, yeah, mine are in the minor uh, making their way because of Governor DeSantis. They're making their way to a port somewhere in Florida. Oh boy. Yeah. Well. Well. Uh, <laughs> I am curious. Uh, I'm, I'm really thinking more. You know, Christmas is on its way, and this mm-hmm. is the the time to get ahead, of course. And I, my when I grew up, we we loved getting gifts. I remember my parents would throw that toy catalog in front of me with a marker and be like, what do you want this year? And I would just go to town and uh, loved it. You know, just loved it. Dreaming about what I would get. And Oh, oh what goodness. a lucky man. Yeah, it was, it was living the dream, living the dream. <laughs> the funny thing about that is, you know, when you're younger, you always think, oh, man, one day when I make enough money just to buy whatever I want, I'm going to do it. And then you get older, and it's like, you're not buying any of those toys. You know, you have all the money. You can't. <laughs> but no, I, I loved, I loved that that toy catalog, boy, and just that season. And when I reflect back on it, it really was all about what I would get. And I, I knew, like, I also needed to be giving and and i tried to to look forward to giving to others and and i did yes but the 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 real love of christmas boy was what was coming under that tree and um and and i think as i've gotten older and we see that play out i've i've wrestled with my own like uh i've wrestled with the rewards of giving that i get that sort of takes away the altruism from giving you know it's it's for me it's uh I see when I get stuff and when I buy stuff online and even when I give to others, like there's, there's definitely a selfish side of that um, because gifts was really established as a love language for me. Um, And I, and I think, I think love languages are like any others. Uh, We would, we would never look at uh, the language, love language of physical touch, touch and say, Oh, but there's no upper bound to how much you ought to love that. That's not true. (laughs) So I, I, I kind of place and. I, I place uh, even gifts in that sim- same category. So after my long-winded story, my question to you is... No, it's not long-winded. You obviously screwed up, but it's not, it's not long-winded. <laughs> my question is, you know, how do, I, how do I prepare my kids for that? They're still pretty young, um, but, but just as we approach the holiday season here, I don't know, how do, how do I help that, guide them through this and uh, find, find a slightly more Christ-centered approach to it? 
Well, uh, John Calvin would say good luck. Uh, <laughs> well, you, All right, I'll go by the toy catalog. <laughs> there you go. I'm just succumb, man. Uh, <laughs> I had a friend used to say, uh, here's how you sing this hymn, this old hymn. I was sinking in the sin. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're just part of what's striking at is, uh, you know, if it's expected, it's really not a gift. Mm-hmm. So at least get in touch with the tsunami that you're, you're trying to, in some way, fend off or um, it's just, it's just, you know, it's similar with where I grew up. I, you know, I'm a generation older, but my kids, I mean, uh, four boys, but at least they ever put a catalog in front of us. They would hint at what we were interested in. And then <clears throat> the day after Thanksgiving, my folks would go down to Detroit to this giant thing called a mall, a big old mall called Northlands. And, These are like the pyramids, right? Oh, Same man, time frame? Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, we would stay home and play with our abacus. And then um, when they come back that evening, they, uh, they'd say, these are, don't look at everything that we bought here for your cousins. You know, we weren't smart enough to go, cousins, when the heck do we see our cousins? <laughs> <laughs> and then they put them in this, uh, <clears throat> the guest bedroom. So I, I did confess this to my parents uh, later in life because of the one time I was, they said, don't go in there. And I did. And I rifled through and I figured out everything I was going to get. Um, I was so excited in November. <laughs> so Christmas Day, I had to feign excitement. That that was painful. I learned that was. I'm not going to do that again because I was so like, oh wow, the football helmet I want. Thank you. Knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. I have a couple of thoughts on this because uh, it's hard to imagine unless you unplug your kids from all social media and what have you that they're they're just not going to be and, and they don't play with their neighbors and everything that uh, this just isn't going to sort of be bred in them. I I would suggest let's talk today about another one of the holy days or a good day. It may not be a holy day. Christmas is considered a holiday. But if it's a holiday, it comes from the idea of holy day, something that's set apart for something unusual, uh, special. And there's a there's a holiday that's been obliterated that comes before. You may have heard of it before. It's called Thanksgiving. And indeed, uh, I have. You have, yes. And you know, it seems to me if you, if we tackled a bit of uh, Thanksgiving in some way invigorated it there might be something there that would help with christmas because there's also a season before christmas that we'll touch on called advent which is was designed to be a bodily preparation often say we ought to call it ad lent because lent is also a preparation for the high and holy holiday of easter and there were two in the ancient church two high and holy celebrations, holidays, Christmas and Easter. And there's preparation period before each one. And so you have a sort of a discipline of abstinence to heighten the 
enjoyment of the celebration that follows. So we'll talk a bit about what you might do also in Advent. Yeah. But Thanksgiving. Um, let me start with this story. So you're familiar with the story that Jesus meets 10 lepers, tells them to trust him. They want to be healed, obviously. And the way you trust him, he said, go show yourself to the priest. Now, you'd only show yourself to the priest if you'd been healed. Mm. But because Christ doesn't deal in necessarily a sequential time like we do, for him it's one big now, <clears throat> he says, go show yourself to the priest. Which is the way they can show they, they trust him, at least for that. And what happens as the ten go? Um, several don't don't make it to the priest. They they give up. No, all ten, uh, all ten are healed on the way. Oh. They don't know if they ever made it or not. Clearly, I'm not reading the right story. <laughs> Bible. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> Pat and I are good friends. We're I'm straining that right now, but we're good friends. Uh, <laughs> we're. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So the ten, uh, all ten are healed. What happens after that? Oh, that don't. Um, now they don't all go back to Jesus, right? And that the well, piece. How many do? Uh, I want to say one. One. That's yeah. right. And what does Jesus say? Where are the other nine? Were they not all healed? Yes, they were. Where are they? I, you know, I have to give thanks. You're healed. What's the loss? What's the loss if you don't give thanks? Uh, gratitude. Not a circular argument. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I think this is why Thanksgiving is not particularly giving you thanks. Now, I know someone say, Mike, it's really not a high and holy holiday. President Lincoln instituted it. Yada, yada, yada. I get all that. And um, and I know that today it's immediately, it used to be immediately followed by Black Friday or what was called Black Friday or whatever. There was a, you know, a massive shopping day and I know the internet's pretty much obliterated that. But I think that part of what enriches Thanksgiving is, you know, what's the benefit in giving thanks? Uh, yeah, I can think of, I mean, recognition, there's humility there. Um, there's a lot of benefit. Yeah, I think there is. I think it also, it it tempers at the very least the expectation that of, of course we get gifts. Of course he heals. It's a Rousseau or Voltaire rather was reported to sit on his deathbed because he did not uh, follow God, did not believe in God. This attitude in any way, tremble at that. And he goes, no, uh, God will forgive. That's his business. That's what he does. Now, if that doesn't send a slight quiver down your spine to think someone would have that kind of audaciousness or presumption. And there's something here in the story. It almost makes me wonder if Jesus is saying, hey, here's the law of averages. About one out of ten will actually be grateful. 
Yeah, so that's uh, my my question. There is uh, when I when I think of that story, it seems like the the point is one in ten will actually um, will actually have experienced the, you know received gratitude, as opposed to it sounds like what you're saying is one out of ten will actually exercise gratitude, and the 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 exercise helps remove the expectation. Whereas I'm used to the idea that, well, if you don't have expectations, then gratitude will be, will follow. Does that make sense? The the way I'm thinking about it. I don't know. You may be, you may be very deep. Uh, I I know that. Um, is it gratitude if you don't express gratitude? Is it love if you don't express love? Yeah, I mean, I. Uh, I guess no. I think so. I think love always has to be expressed. Otherwise, it's not love. The husband says to wife, listen, when we got married, I told you I love you. Unless you hear otherwise, it stands. (laughs) Listen, Jesus, uh, when I came to you, I, I said, thank you. Come into my heart. Please forgive my sins. And I'm grateful. And unless I say otherwise, that stands. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's good. I I I like I like that. Um, yeah, I guess the 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 piece I'm driving in is it sounds like the, the and I think this is good, but this is this is maybe even profound. But the act, the behavior, the practice of gratitude helps remove expectation. That's that's what you're saying. I think it does. Well, it, 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 yeah, I'd say, uh, yeah, okay, I understand that what you were saying. Um, I actually think what it does is it reveals your level of expectation. Um, it's the kid who comes down and looks under the tree. Or, this is unfair for kids because they've been conditioned this way. But you come down, you see all the presents, you say, of course. Right. You're on your way to go serious after the priest and you're healed. Of course. So you're almost saying in a way, who gets more credit for being healed here? The healer or the fact that you obeyed the healer? Well, I, I, I obeyed. So it's, um, mm. hate to get too deep into this, but it's what uh, Socrates would say is the difference between the primary causer and the instrumental causer. The primary causer is Christ. The instrumental, the instrument he uses is, is what's called human agency, the person. But if you get those two flipped around, it's a wildlife person that says, I got saved. Uh. <laughs> and they're, they're implying after, after a while, I'm the primary mover on this. Mm. Jesus is the instrumental user, uh, caused instrumental mover in this. Uh, you can read about it, just Google Socrates says there's five causes. If, if it's helpful, just these, I would say, do what C.S. Lewis said, look at a table. So you say, hey, what caused that table to come into existence? And you say, God, you go, <laughs> I think it's a little more complex than that. Hmm. And if you say, well, um, Pat, Pat Brown. Well, so Pat did it with his bare hands. Oh, that's right. There was instruments he used. Ah. He also had an idea in mind that's that's kind of called the formal cause, had a pattern of form in his mind. Oh, you see all these causes. That's why Lewis said, look at a table. Ours is a complex religion. If you're looking for a simple religion, this isn't it. 
in the mm -hmm. same way there's a salvation is by grace through faith by grace is the formal primary cause god's grace through faith the instrumental cause you get those two flipped and you're the primary mover it's hard to be grateful because you made it happen so if, if taken seriously uh, thanksgiving can help reveal where we are ungrateful i would just say uh, just not even thinking about being grateful or mm. the, the benefits mm. thereof so it's a healthy reminder of oh i ought to be grateful for this day yes aware of it. yes and um instituted by lincoln who as he often he wasn't happy about this but he said uh, he lamented he only had one year of formal schooling i think with the schools today that might have been a benefit um but he had mastered five books or he says five the works of shakespeare aesop's fables uh, aesop's fables and but more importantly the bible now there's no indication that lincoln followed christ but he had mastered he, he could quote at length so he knew that the most often repeated command in the old testament was to remember and the most often cited sin in the old testament is not idolatry it's forgetfulness i think what you're seeing in the 10 lepers and nine they're all healed but nine just forget so i'm not sure i'd make it malintent i would just go uh the uh the waves of uh, cultural erosion can make you just forget here's the old joke First of all, if you're very successful in business, you'll never get a decent performance review after the age of 35 because everyone will fawn over you. You get real successful, you'll never have to open a door. That'll open it for you. Everyone will amp up their voice when they meet you. Hey, Pat, how's it going? Because they might be able to get something from you. And you just sort of forget what it's like to be humble. You sort of forget what it's like to just be a human being and treat other people like human beings. You just forget. And uh, I would urge listeners before Thanksgiving to see if you can heighten awareness of gratitude by watching a movie. The movie is called Avalon. A B. A-L-O-N, Avalon. We may or may not have talked about this movie before. Pat, have we? Do you, are you familiar with this? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure you mentioned it before, but I don't remember what it is about. So I urged you to watch it, and you're telling me? Oh, I definitely didn't watch it. You forgot. To be fair, to be fair. I don't think you urged me to watch it in the past. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> Nor am I now. <laughs> Uh, so Avalon is a Barry Levinson. So if you Google Barry, you'll see he's a film director in LA. Basically, it's really based on marvelous films. I thought Bandits was 
particularly well done. But he had uh, Tin Man, a diner. That was a lot of these were stories of diners growing up in Baltimore. But the Avalon is a story of his family. I believe they're Eastern Orthodox Jewish coming to America. It's either 1914 or 1918. I can't mm, recall yep. exactly. But we'll talk uh, about this. Yep. This yes. And it, the film continues to revolve back around Thanksgiving. So we're not going to give it away. But when the film, the date that it ends, I believe is around 1969, which would make about 50 years uh, and a Thanksgiving scene. And uh, I've actually shown this before where I watched the young men once um, get up, leave the room. So I'm in the hallway and asked what was wrong. He was visibly upset. He's crying. And he said, that's the story of how my family came undone. It's actually the story of my family, growing up in my family, our experience with Thanksgiving as well. And Thanksgiving is sort of a tip of the iceberg of how we came undone in many ways as a family. So you, I, I urge you to watch it because uh, the subtleties, I think, are profound. This was all before internet and social media, but he is, but he is subtly introducing to you what happened to gratitude, thanksgiving, family, with the advent of technologies and transportation. And we'll leave it at that. But you, if you're not moved on one particular scene when television is brought into the home, mm -hmm. then you're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. Avalon, by the way, has, um, I've been to that place in, in Baltimore. It used to have just lots and lots of piers. It was a sooty town. And you would just go a block or two up in a wagon, and there were these four or five-story walk-ups, and sometimes they had architectural features on them, like uh, uh, the uh, almost a turret that comes around the corner with the curved glass. And they would, as a tradition that you often do see in Europe, they would name these apartments or name the buildings. And so they, I believe the apartment of the building was called Avalon, and that's when the fa where the family first came and lived in Avalon. So I'd urge you to uh, watch it. We have a group of people here in Annapolis or have, I believe we have our evening set up a Sunday evening. We're going to watch Avalon together. Hmm. And uh, so you can do that to heighten awareness as to uh, gratitude. All right, I'm with you. I'm with you. So, so the, parents, parents do this all the time with their kids. What are they teaching to say when they, every dinner? Is a, uh, thank you. Say thank you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, it's, there's, a, there's just a lot more informational impulses pounding away at us all the time. And I think that the, in the midst of that, 
I mean, I know adults who are, I think, are, you know, they're, they're swell people, but they don't have a habit of when they say thank you that it comes from the heart. It's more pro forma. Hmm. In so that's I mean that's a good good spot. So these are people that probably say thank you. And uh, how do you how do you flush that out? The driving it to the heart. What's the missing piece there? Well, it would be not unlike any other thing that you say when something. Remember, God says to His people, "Why part of why He takes them in exile." He goes. Uh, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far away. Hmm. It's the spouse that says to the spouse, I, I know you say you love me. It just rings hollow. Based upon how what you do. Is that um, is that a bit of, of self-revelation? There has to be something for that person that is revealed to them is there yeah um, I think, yeah yeah i think hey, i'm glad you said that i hadn't thought about that I, I could i can almost hear myself walking myself into a corner here like so what the what in heaven's name do we do <laughs> and i think you just hit on it jeffrey this you know so listeners you know some of you all four of you actually because there's only four of you you know that but we've been doing this course, Widen Our Imagination, which includes uh, returning back to the to recognizing and living and embodying what was called this enchanted background. And, and the enchanted background, because God is meta, beyond, incomprehensible, ineffable, meant that uh, you never hear people say, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what God's doing here. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out God. I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. It's more that you take the pose by Mary that we see the Virgin Mary in the New Testament. You open your body receptively to whatever he has for us. And you allow it to penetrate you. Augustine put it this way, you are more in me than I am in you. I think for a lot of my friends who are Christians, they imagine it the other way around. Yeah, I'm more into God than he is into me. Um, that is terrible. I think if we had a uh, cultivated disciplines of silence, Solitude and fasting, the first three disciplines of abstinence, we'd make some headway on this. Why are they called disciplines of abstinence? Because you're, 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 you're pulling or taking away as opposed to actively pursuing or adding. You're removing, removing something. That's right. And why, why the necessity of removing? Uh, good question. I, I mean, I think there's, there's one, it's the example I would use is like, it's hard to hear a whisper if you don't remove the music or the noise. Good. 
That's good. I agree. There's also um, some wisdom from uh, Tristan Harris. The capacity of the, of the brain to absorb has not changed appreciably, as he puts it, over millions of years. What has changed appreciably? The amount of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the disciplines come from a recognition we're finite. God is infinite. The degree of difference between the two is infinite. And as a finite being, I'm going to have to unplug because I'm. we're always running at max. It's just that a lot of the max might be a mess. And if you don't actually clear out some space, clear out some bandwidth, you're going to hear the God in your image and mm-hmm. you're going to call it God. And it could be a God that um, never talks to you about remember, give thanks. It could be a God that, uh, God bless John Wesley, who late in life, having for most of his career been a opera slave boat, he had his investments in the slave industry and he captained a slave boat. And he talked about in his diary, standing on deck because he could hire a large enough crew, prosperous, and writing in rapture hymns for the glory of God he saw in the stars, not more than 20 feet below his feet were humans, Africans, often on a ship 40% would die on the way over. And he never seemed to hear a word from God about that. That's God in your own image. And it wasn't until late in life with the prodding of uh, the Clapham sect, his good friend William Wilberforce and others, and also the prodding of the spirit, that he wrote a repentant tract and became quite popular, a confession that, as he put it, came, comes way too late. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't too late. It was... It wasn't, it wasn't. But this is what I mean by the contemplative approach is called, is not in abundance, at least in the uh, my small experience with American Christians. It's just not in abundance. We're in a hurry. B-Roy's tapping. We got the music in us, deals, deals, working, working. And then our whole point of, of uh, re- regenerating ourselves is then uh, take a trip here, take a trip there, travel. Travel has become the great renewal. Mm. So most people, when they get home, they say, man, I really need a vacation for my vacation. <laughs> and no sense that uh, recreation is we had the originally the notion of recreating ourselves, renewing us, but it was it was it was as simple as C.S. Lewis reportedly in the afternoon taking off his shoes and socks and walking on the green grass of Maudlin College just to get back in touch with God's good earth. 
keep himself grounded. Well, most of us don't live there and don't work there and can't walk on that lawn. But we can practice disciplines of silence and solitude. And I think they, they will alter over time your expectation of what you ought to be getting for Christmas. Hmm. And yeah. if you embody that, rather than try to teach your kids... Now, it's really becoming um, more evident to me than I'm perhaps I've ever given it credit or recognized the way it actually works, I guess. The difference with an embodied faith versus what is mostly in America is an explanatory faith. Embodied meaning probably on average three years before this is actually stitched into your body and becomes habit. Versus an explanatory faith is you read a quick book on servanthood, and you do a six-week series on servanthood. Can't do that in embodied faith. You have to embody it before you try to explain it. And the giveaway is we're explaining all sorts of stuff and studies and from the pulpit and the rest, mostly out of customer demand. They want an awesome sermon every week. That uh, there's no way, in, no way in the world we could be embodying this stuff. And if we don't embody it, then we're going to fall prey to the wiles of whatever the cultural norms are. The cultural norms are with Christmas. Yeah, yeah it's dazzling right now, but what's dazzling about it is, is the, the amount of gifts. I think I walked into Sam's this year, it was even in early October. And the Christmas trees are all out. I said, man, it's even blowing away uh, uh, Halloween right now. <laughs> this is a great spooky holiday, but it's because where's the money? Follow the money. Hmm. Some in hmm. Halloween, Thanksgiving, you got to be kidding me. Turkeys, they cost so little, like 19 cents a pound. Well, not anymore. I'm sure with inflation, they're going to be up to, you know, 25 cents. Uh, Christmas, Christmas, that's where the money is. Follow the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, that's helpful. So the first, uh, first piece to, to, to let set in is, is, uh, embodying gratitude and, and Thanksgiving is a good opportunity to do that. It is. And then immediately after that, with the start of Advent, remember Lent was designed to practice some spiritual disciplines, fasting. I know it gets lost, but it might be uh, we're going to fast from dessert, we're going to fast from the take what you can get. But we used to do it as a family. We grew up, we were nominal Episcopalians, but we did do that. And, um, and we were grateful for the Catholics up in Saginaw, Michigan, because uh, they did fish fries every Friday. Actually, in, in one of the towns nearby, they actually had a drive-thru. You could drive through and pick up your, your fish dinner. And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> Should have capitalized on it. That was in the, that was in the 1960s. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it was, it was a nominal. But we did, we did fast from dessert and what have you. But Advent can be a time where you 
in some ways, he as a family, or at least as uh, adults, to engage some of the spiritual disciplines of abstinence. And if I would, I'm beginning to see just the first basic ones of silence and solitude, I dare say over 90% of my friends don't evidence that that is a daily norm in their life. It's not yet a habit. And if it's not a habit, it becomes a discipline. So you discipline yourself into a habit so that you no longer have to treat it as a discipline. It's something you actually feel a loss of if it's not there. Yeah, that's that's a good uh, a good piece there. I just think it's the only way you can break. You can begin to slow down at least. This is a powerful cycle. Um, much unlike, much like in the same way, I do understand that parents of young children, uh, social media is a powerful cycle with tremendous pull. Uh, the gravitational force is daunting. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> unless you as parents embody something different, it's just, uh, it's like saying, I don't have to worry about riptides. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I don't, I think you'd be better to, now, again, we've talked about this before, but most of what I hear parents try to do is paltry because it just seems arbitrary and capricious. They're not embodying anything. What they're do, what they're actually doing is demonstrating fear of how their quote kids are going to turn out. Um, no thought of well, how are we turning out? How have mm. we turned out? Why wouldn't our kids, as they grow, say, um, "Yeah, they never really held much allure from my parents." I wonder why. I'm going to ask him. Kids are great at seeing through parents. What is it about age 14, 12? Somewhere there, they become so bright. You know, very insightful. <laughs> at least I thought I did. <laughs> I, I, I would say it's probably even earlier than that. <laughs> no, that's right. I love Mark, Mark Twain's quote. It's, it leaves the course language out, but he essentially said, you know, at a certain age, I thought my father was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. And he says, somehow when I got like 19... It's amazing how much he'd grown up. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Indeed. So those are just, um, uh, I'm just, Christmas, I think if you do Advent, for example, there's some great little calendars we used to do with the kids to at least highlight here, here are the traditions leading up to it for these X amount of days and you know, the, the Advent candle properly understood. Um, again, sacramental churches, this they're all part of a fabric, even in the, uh, the vestments that are worn and the colors and the color on the altar. Uh, churches that are not tend to just do this stuff because it's what's done. But it's not particularly clear why four candles, why, why purple, why white, why this, why that, why that. And that's where, if you don't have the why, 
it just it just it um, it just fades away. It mm -hmm. fades away so rapidly, I, and that's what you sense. Yeah, that's what you know. We used to listen to the radio a lot, and you know that was, that was clear as a bell when you listen to the radio because they start to bring up all these old schmaltzy Christmas songs. But come midnight on Christmas night, bang, they're done. It's back to rock and roll. Well, you bring up a good point. Like when I'm thinking about Advent, I'm, I'm thinking about it in two ways. One is very individualistic, which is what will I do? Maybe I could practice personal disciplines myself, which is, is helpful, but still mm -hmm. a very individual perspective. And then the other is more of a, um, more of a, like a church setting of, what is my church doing in preparation for Advent and, and experiencing those also important. Um, but then as someone who is not involved in a more traditional church and is, is lacking some of those, those pieces that I think are important, or even as someone who's participating in a traditional church that has maybe lost some meaning to it. I'm, I'm curious if there's anything in between any, anything in the home, for example, of, of practices uh, during the Advent season to be mindful of, um, like you just mentioned, candles and this and that. Are, are the Advent calendar? I think is a good one. Are there mm -hmm. are there any others? And and maybe even what are some, what are some ways other than me googling right after this? You know, Advent traditions. What are some resources that you think are really helpful? Yeah, you know, I'm sure there there are. I'm not. There, none are coming to mind or at the moment you could you could you, you know google these um, the advent calendar you know uh, here's here's what you if you had silence and solitude and fasting you could as a family uh say uh, well i mean kids kids are not going to like fasting but at least as adults you could say we're not fasting and and all this that we would have eaten we are going to pull together and uh, we're going to take it to this uh, pantry or pop-up pantry. I'd actually encourage you to do something where you actually see the people receiving. And uh, we're going to, Christmas is going to be about giving. I actually do know of some years ago families that said, for this Christmas, we're not going to receive, we're going to give. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, before you write that off entirely, if it was properly set up, the point that the, the people have told me about said, I remember that Christmas. Do you remember all the others? Mm -hmm. Hmm. They do tend to become a blur of paper and, oh my God, the recycling and the ripping through. And I get it. I enjoyed it. Um, that's pretty radical, but, uh, maybe there would be something approximations towards that where you, you would say when your kids are at appropriate age, say, Jesus said, you're really better off if you give than you receive because love is mutual giving and receiving. It's in that, in the Godhead, that's how it works. So, uh. We're going to have a more fortunate Christmas this year. We're going to give more than we receive. And uh, there are families I know they, they like a Thanksgiving. They 
worked that morning in uh, food kitchens. And I tell you what, it's not, those, those are helpful in terms of if you set them up properly so that you're saying to your family, look at the faces of the people. Because in the pop-up pantry that Kathy, my wife, and a couple others set up that we've been part of now for going on two years, something happens in your soul. And I've seen this in the Hispanic community. You hand them this box of produce, and they're grateful. They look you in the eye. And they say, thank you. There's something humane going in there, human. It's not government in personal distribution. And they're grateful, but I'm really more the beneficiary because I've got a lot of stuff. It's easier for me not to be grateful. Of course, I got orange juice this morning. I bought it. What did I buy? With my hard-earned money. Versus hearing that little five-year-old or someone looking when we started this at a box being put in the trunk and saying to her mommy in her sweet innocence, Mommy, we eat tonight. Now, if you hear that story secondhand, it doesn't have the power of being there. I'm breathing through a mask, but finally my eyes are watering up. So now I not only can't breathe, I can't see. (laughs) (laughs) It's different. So I would say, it just kind of maybe we stumbled on this. Do something that's not secondhand, something they actually put their hands to. 